Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 183, the Gene Keymaker, Richard Rudd, author, teacher, mystic, award-winning poet. Join the team as we get to know this Richard, a Brit with a Virgo stallium, responsible for bringing to the world the famous Gene Keys. Well met and welcome, Richard. Great, thanks. Nice to be here with you guys. Definitely. It is 12.12 here in Colorado where I live, so very serendipitous timing here. Uh, so this is a 183rd episode that will reduce down to three numerologically, which is the Empress card. Um, and according to David DeAngelis, who has done the Starman Tarot deck, he's been on the podcast a few times, uh, says, I fully embrace life's rich fecundity. The Empress card is saying everything is possible. Allow abundance into your life, tap into the creative flow of the universe, and start something nurturing. Raphael, what would the Galactic Heritage card be? So these are Lissa Royal Holt's Galactic Heritage cards. We have now number 75, Earth, Melting Pot, Future Timeline. Unity from diversity is one of the most powerful evolutionary ideas for a species. Humanity is an amalgamation of many diverse ET species. It is a direct reflection of the galactic community. Once humankind begins to fully embrace those who are different and sees itself as one people, it will be ready to join the galactic community. This card reminds you that beyond race, gender, skin color and beliefs, all beings come from the same source. Humans must transcend the fear of those who are different and extend their hearts to all beings in order for this necessary evolutionary step to be activated. So I'm curious, Richard, uh, between those cards, if anything resonated for you? Mm, yeah, that last one, especially, I think that's, uh, that reminds me of, reminds me of my work <laughs> and the vision behind it, you know, that, uh, that combining, you know, that unifying of the opposites and, and, uh, the beauty of diversity. Yeah, that's definitely a, a part of, um, of my work with the gene keys and and in the world yeah so i do want to get into the gene keys quite obviously um but i'm curious kind of as to how you got to where you are i've read a couple tales even on your website it's like you know you had a mass magical mystery experience at one point that kind of uploaded what became the gene keys so as long-winded or as short-winded as you prefer um kind of give us uh call me Ishmael, you know, moment and kind of situate us into how you got onto the path of your present moment. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I'm, I guess, um, you know, I had a, a, a fairly standard, um, privileged, uh, English upbringing with private schooling and stuff and, you know, really good schooling actually. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess well, after that was all finished, and I got to university, I went to Edinburgh University, which is a great place, um, doing English and philosophy. And uh, while I was there, I fell in with some interesting characters who kind of had big, big influence on me. And I had my first experiences of energy in the body, uh, like energy moving through my body, um, which I, you know, kind of, 
I guess back then it was it was very it was a bit freaky for me uh, because I I didn't have a reference, but it just suddenly happened, and um, I'd met some guys. Had you not done psychedelics or anything like that before this? Um, I'd done a little bit of mushrooms with my friends at university, you know, um, but no, it wasn't that kind of thing. It was uh, starting, you know, energies that started to move through my body, through on the inside, you know, and um, and I could feel them really clearly, and um, and and I could feel sort of blockages in that, and and I didn't really have a reference because most of the people I was hanging out with that wasn't, you know, they they didn't understand, um, but I went to a yoga teacher. Um, and she helped me understand it. She's, you know, so I was only like 18 or something, um, 19, I guess. And she helped me. And she said, how did, you, how did it start? And I said, well, I, I had this book from um, uh, a teacher called Mantak Chia. And, um, and in the book, it described this meditation practice. And someone had given me this book. And, and it described this meditation practice where the, um, the initiates would go into the cave for 100 days and they do this practice called the microcosmic orbit, opening the orbit. And it's like, if, if you know acupuncture and things like that, it's the, the channel that goes up the spine at the back and then it comes over the top of your head and down through your tongue. And your tongue's kind of a switch that you put it to the roof of your mouth. And then the energy flows down the front channel and then loops back up the spine again and that's that's called the might the Taoists call that the microcosmic orbit and you would go into the cave for a hundred days you know and the door would be sealed and you do your practice until you'd open that orbit anyway so this this man this teacher brought this this teaching out you know it was like a secret teaching and then he published it and it was with diagrams and everything and I got hold of that book and I sat there you know and um and this orbit just instantaneously opened up in me. And, um, you know, so it was no like 100 days. Maybe I'd done my 100 days in my last life or something. But it just I was going to say, you are a Virgo stellium. <laughs> you have more than one personal planet. And the Virgo is the hermit card. So going yeah. off into a cave for 100 days, it's right up your alley naturally. Well, so maybe you yeah. did do this. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to. Um, but it confused the hell out of me because suddenly I had this this the moment I after I'd done that meditation and I and I experienced the energy pouring coming through my tongue it was like that switch um after that after that moment I could feel energy for the rest of my life you know it didn't stop before that moment I didn't and or I wasn't aware of it and um and so anyway so the woman this yoga teacher said to me well why don't you find the guy who wrote the book and that hadn't really occurred to me. And um, how practical. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so I did. And there was no internet back then. Um, and so I found out where he was. And he was teaching in the US, actually. And so as it happens, I was on, um, I got on a, it was in 1992. And there was a, there was this incredible tall ships race sailing across the Atlantic Ocean. And um, I managed to get on several you know boats and so i sailed to america for the, that's the first time i'd been to america so i but i got there by i just want to say how magical the story is already it's like <laughs> most people are like yo i get on a plane or whatever it's like you're going to the root of the tree of the source of the knowledge that you've like become yeah. gnostic you know aware about but also a transatlantic journey that most monkeys probably will never understand yeah it was pretty cool um and so i sailed across it took a couple of weeks and i sailed across the ocean 
And then I switched, you know, I had a lot of adventures. I fell in love. There was because it was this cute, it was a, it was the quintessentenary of Christopher Columbus discovery of America. Well, we know that it wasn't discovered by him, but you know, that was, so, so there were a lot of ships sailing across and there was this whole kind of carnival atmosphere in each port uh, that you stopped in. And anyway, so it was a, it was an amazing experience. And I, I would switch, I switched boats in different ports um, until I, so it was, it was quite random and I'd stay in certain places in the, in the islands. And, but eventually I made my way up to New York and I sailed at this wonderful experience of sailing past the Statue of Liberty and then sailing into New York. And, um, and that was where Mantak Chia was teaching in upstate New York. So my timing was really good. And he was teaching this huge course of seven or eight weeks long teaching all kinds of Taoist secret arts. And I had signed in for these two weeks in the middle doing a thing called Chine Sang, which is a, 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 I had no, no idea about this, but, and I just, I signed straight in for something quite sophisticated because that was the thing that I thought I, I felt drawn to. And it was, it was like working in the belly with your hands. And I, and I just thought that sounded... The stomach perfect. does rule Virgo, so it's not terribly... I'm just like, wow, this sounds like... I just, not to sidetrack you, considering how practical you probably are, like, did yeah. you find it, like, super magical, the synchronicities of just, hide, you know, hitching rides? And yeah. obviously, even the Empress card kind of resonates with the uh, Lady Liberty in the sense it's like, give me yeah. a poor, I'll support you and nurture you. Um, no, were you freaking really... out magically, or were you just like, this is how it should be? Like, how how did you feel, like, um, you know, um, phenomenologically? Well, I, I guess I was just, I was young and uh, I was an adventurer. I still am, you know, and I just wanted an advent, like in the old tradition of adventurers, you know, because I read all these books when I was young about the adventurers, you know, and I was like, I, 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 that's me. And, and that's why I decided to go this spontaneous route. Um, and, and yeah, so it was, it was full of enchantments and magic. And as I said, love and, you know, all kinds of um, incredible experiences and people that I met who, some of whom had deep effects on me and count kind of counter relationships that went on later and opened up other areas later in my life. Um, anyway. So, so you do have a North node in Aries. I don't know how into astrology you personally are. You're here. I mean, your destiny, your karma, dharma, however you want to put it, um, is to kind of cut a path for yourself, like in a yeah. warrior sense. So the fact yeah. that you resonate as a pioneering spirit, not terribly surprising. It seems like that's, you know, you're here to do it, but also to be kind of a muse about it, like an organized um, poet type more, yeah. like an informer. Um, what what led you to the, you just kind of like opened a book and said, that's the course I'll take. Or like, was it something specific? Cause you, you did, before I cut you off, you were saying you didn't yeah. really grok what was going on well, he in was, terms of the course. It, it was, it was new to me. You know, I just read this one book and had this one experience. And, and then I looked, I kind of found out that he was teaching all these different things. Um, and that was the one that I just felt like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to sign up for that. Um, knowing nothing about it. Um, and, and it was quite an advanced um, technique of working, you know, with your hands, deep tissue massage, working in the solar plexus, the belly area. Um, it was an, it's a Chinese art called Chine Sang. It's an inc incredible, um, you know, healing art. And um, anyway, so I, I showed up for those two weeks and I had two weeks of that training 
with about, I guess, 100 other people or 150 other people in this beautiful place, upstate New York, um, retreat center. And um, immediately I was there, I felt like I was a, I was in the family. I was in family, you know, and like fight because the first person I met was this, you know, I was sharing, he was sharing the same room as me. And he was like this. He was another guy from England. He was much older. He was an older guy. And he was a meditation teacher. And I thought, wow, a meditation teacher. How do you become one of those? <laughs> it's like, uh, because in those days, you, you, you know, that you wouldn't just you, you had to actually do it. You know, in those days, you, you kind of to become a meditation teacher, you basically had to go to kind of a Buddhist monastery for uh, five years. And that's how you, you know, you know, so you re- this guy really knew his his stuff. And anyway, so everyone there had this incredible story. They were all older. Than, I was the youngest one there. Um, and immediately several people kind of took me under their wing and kind of guided me into the field of energy medicine. And, um, you know, cause I had so many questions. I was like this young guy that had this, this awakening experience and I had no, I had no reference and no people that I knew, uh, you know, who really understood. So suddenly I was for two weeks in this, in this experience with all these, this, these people who had been doing it for years, you know, Tai Chi, tai chi teachers and Qi Gong And they'd come to study with this one man and they'd come from all over the world. He was an extraordinary uh, master. He still is. He still teaches. And, and as far as techniques go, he was the, he's, he is the great master of the Chinese techniques. He, he knows more techniques than anyone on this planet. And he teaches them really well. He's a deeply practical man. And, and wrote all these books and, and, and anyway. I've definitely heard of Montauk Chia. I think I even have the Cosmic yes. Orbit. Raphael's yeah. mentioned it you before. probably do. And he, he, yes. he became famous for the sexual teachings, of course, you know, because that's how you become famous. Taoist uh, Sexual Alchemy. I think that yeah. is a book I have on my uh, phone. Multi-orgasmic man, you know, and those kind of things, um, which were, were great teachings as well. But the, it was more the community were incredible. And so that was my, my induction into this world of this of spirituality um it was an incredible eye-opener for me and then i i followed him uh, after that i i became a kind of you know i i went and did his teacher training i went to thailand and then i came back to america and did this training with him and i learned tai chi and things and and then when he came to london i hosted him and introduced him um to the to it to the english and um you know so i got kind of involved with that and then it kind so of, not only transatlantic pioneering, inner space pioneering for yeah. y'all, your island, your home island. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, Raphael, did you want to say something? I didn't mean to cut you off. You know, just briefly. So um, thank you for sharing that story. I did not know. And uh, all I can say is anyone interested in the practical side, there is a great book apparently by his first uh, master a student, let's say, Eric Judlov, called Taoist Yoga and Sexual Energy. That book is particularly great, I think, because it has wonderful illustrations. It is very practical and very simple. And I can only, let's let's just say I have only dabbled in what you have described, but I'm very much uh, amazed and delighted that, in a sense, this is a tradition, let's say, you're coming from or that you've touched mm-hmm. these realms, because... Uh, this is something that has to be experienced. I just want to say that I cannot emphasize enough how relevant uh, those ideas and techniques may be, especially if one then 
even just the simple meditations and exercises and then at some point you start to feel that energy and you can activate that orbit to some extent and that's just it's a completely different experience of life and understanding of self so thank you for sharing yeah it's true thank you and and, and you know he laid out these as a teacher he laid out all these formulas where the energy was more and more refined in the higher formulas and over the course of his life he taught higher and higher formulas and they were they were alchemical formulas um of of refining spiritual essence inside the body um and they were passed down he he's his teacher was a man called a lovely name the white cloud hermit um who was a who literally was this great master from the mountains and he had went and studied with him as a boy as a young boy and learned from him and he'd had several other kind of incredible teachers um and he'd gone off on his own quest and taken this incredible wisdom transmissions of china and he himself was from thailand he was a thai um so he had also very um you know that i think that's why he went so kind of easily into the west and he was he had such a liberal mindset around sexuality and you know and all those things so he didn't he wasn't kind of as trapped in tradition and and i think many of the chinese um teachers were really outraged that he was writing all these secrets um and and just publishing them um to the west and his teachings they they caught on like wildfire in the west and they're still you know there's some of the best selling books uh, of like you know the the of all these kind of energy medicines in the world really yeah so you know and i moved on it from, reminds me a little of the other card uh the melting pot like it was right it's like seems yeah. like this is another level of it where um various traditions uh, which like were you just drawn to eastern things um do you feel like you were a Taoist in a past life like what turned you on to this kind of path it, i mean obviously any path is how you do it so i mean i'm a postmodern at that level but i'm kind of curious like what were the things that were resonating to the degree that you you felt like inclined in that direction yeah i think you know i'm drawn to many paths and this this has been sort of a central core path in my life and um the chinese you know that that those and funnily enough in all my travels around the world i've i've still never been to china and i i find that as like richard because really, i've been it's everywhere erotic. <laughs> yeah it's almost like I if I go it's on there, the to-do list. Yeah, well, it's no, it's it's it, it's a strange. Um, it's waiting for its time, and and of course the gene keys is based on the I Ching, which is straight, you know, the the central transmission from you know the Chinese culture, spiritual transmission. Um, but I it's actually not a, pull uh, hexagrams every morning, and this morning I pulled fifty-five, which is in my hologenetic profile. But uh -huh. that's a big deal in the gene keys, which I do want to get into 22, 55, things like that. But yeah. keep, I, I'm interested in like the formulation of the stalactite of who you are. So keep yeah. going with uh, what happened after New York. I mean, in all this stuff, you, you, yeah. I mean, you did this London uh, shindig. Yeah, I guess I um, I finished out my um, my degree and um, and I continued traveling in my 20s. You know, I continued. I went to India and I, I picked up those transmissions and I went to um and I met some great um Tibetan lamas and things and the Dalai Lama himself and and hung out in Dharamsala and you know I picked up that kind of trail around the world of just like f 
finding different sacred places and teachings. Anyway, the the flow of the Tao, if you like, brought me back to New York um, about, I don't know when that was, probably in my mid-20s. Well, I should go back a little bit because I was I was living in, at the time in Scotland and I had a um, I had this little cottage in the Highlands because I was given some money and I bought this little cottage in the Highlands, high, high up in one of the remote mountain glens, they're called, you know, valley. And um, and it was a very cheap little kind of stone cottage, really beautiful, like it, like you might see in the movies, like Highlander or something. And I went up there. I would go from Edinburgh and I'd go at the weekends and I'd go sometimes in the holidays for like two or three months and I'd live up there in the wilds. And I'd invite people up and um, lots of people started coming up because I was doing spiritual practice up there and people heard about the Taoists and I was a Mantak cheer. You know, I was teaching this stuff that was, I brought it with me and I was a teacher. I was, a you know, certified by Mantak, the master. We're a hermit card. Yeah. You were doing it. Like, so you, there, you well, had the info, but you were willing to teach. Yeah. So there I was, this kind of guy in the mountains doing this. And um, and people started coming. People heard about me, strangers, and they, they heard and they came. Anyway, one day, an unusual man rang me up, um, traveling from uh, from Australia. And uh, and he said, I've heard about you. I've heard about your teachings. And I'm also a student of Mantak Chia, among other things. And I'd love to come and see you. So I said, yeah, sure, come on up. And anyway, this man appeared and, I, and he really changed my life. I was in my 20s. He was in his early 40s. And he kind of came and he looked at me and he was a, he was an incredible shaman. And he said, I can really help you um, in the next phase of your spiritual evolution. And I said, OK. Um, and he said, I, I, you need there's there's blockages in you that you need to get through. You know, I was this kind of I was still wet behind the ears, if you know what I mean. I had a lot of knowledge and wisdom, but I, I emotionally I was pretty um, screwed up still. And this man had seen this. And so he he kind of took me through incredible practices um, like with the body, like cleansing practices, like like we would drink um, boiling salted water and then just vomit, you know, in the mornings. And then we would just hardcore. Yeah, we do these hardcore cleansers. He was a his in when he was 18, he'd won an Olympic gold medal as a swimmer in Australia. So he knew about like the breath. That was his thing. He knew the breath. And and so he really took me through like this is how the breath works, you know, because you've got all this knowledge from the Taoists, but I can actually show you how the breath really works. And so in the winter, we would go up into the mountain valleys and we got hold of kilts. That was the thing. He, you know, he, he, went, he came. He said, let's go to Edinburgh. And we went and bought a whole lot of secondhand kilts. And then we put on these kilts and we would run barefoot with these kilts on and our big thick jumpers running through the mountains in the forests, in the rain and the, you know, in the ice and stuff. And one day he took us to this, you know, I had this waterfall that I'd found up there. It was this beautiful waterfall and it had a kind of double waterfall and the top waterfall. It had this little one that you could, you could kind of swim in in the summer. It was really cold. Anyway, we went up there in the winter and, um, and he said, come on, we're going in there. We've got to go in there. And I said, are you kidding? Um, and before I knew it, he was in. Uh, and it was winter. And it was really cold. I mean, cold like you've never known and um, unless you've done that kind of thing. And and then um, 
that became a thing that we'd go there at night in the winter and we'd jump into the blackness, you know, in the night. And I mean, just to even take your clothes off in that environment is is kind of a powerful thing to do. And so people would come up from London and stuff, and then we didn't. We take them on this initiation. We'd, we'd give them a kilt, and we'd say, "Right, we're going out into the wild." And they were like, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> and and I got tough, you know. I I really became tough. My body became strong. My energy body became really powerful um, through doing these. And we would meditate, and we ate vegetables, and we ate very, we drank very clear, cl- clean water from the mountain streams, and we lived a pure life, the Taoist's life. And 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 you know, this guy, uh, you know, he helped also um, me move through some emotional things. You know, um, I remember one day, these are strange stories, but I remember one day he. Um, you know, he was asking about my schooling and he said, tell me more about your schooling and stuff. And he's, and he, and, and, and so I would tell a story and tell him about, because I went to boarding school and he'd say, okay. And then, t- you know, what was this? Were you a sporty guy? I said, no, not really. I hated sport. And he said, yeah, he said, that's this, tell me more about that. And, and eventually he, he kind of wheedled out of me that my deepest fear was cross country running at the school because that, because as a punishment, we were made to kind of run with bricks above our heads at, at dawn in the morning. And it was like, it was kind of primitive. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was very Pink Floyd, the wall, like boarding school style. And you're saying you literally ran with p- bricks above your head. So that's kind of funny. Hello. Yes, yes, you're here. Yeah, yes, we yes. hear you. I think we just had a break. Yeah. Where did, where Your stories you... are lighting up the internet. Everyone's getting the real Highlander cross country experience. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, it sounds like your boarding school, like days, like I was yeah. saying, I don't know if you heard, was very Pink Floyd Wallish. Like, I mean, as an American between yeah. C.S. Lewis and like whatever '80s '90s culture, uh, I kind of have an idea of what it might be, but um, yeah. It seems like I mean, there was, was a blockage just there. <laughs> so, so he would, so he said, okay, well, I'm going to take you on a cross country run. And, and we went down to the bottom of the track and he got in, we had a Jeep, an old Land Rover and he got in the Land Rover and he said, okay, you're going to run up that mountain. And I'm, and, and he followed me in the Land Rover and he became this kind of Gestapo guy. He just started screaming at me using my surname and said, get up that hill. If you stop, you're going to, you know, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> And he just drew, and 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 the fear of God was in me. It brought back all my fears, and I ran all the way up that hill. And when I got to the top, I was sick. I was vomited. But it totally like it, it sounds kind of mean, but it really pushed something through me. And immediately we got to the top. Um, he said, "Right, come inside." We came inside the house. And he said, "Now breathe only through your nostrils." And I was so exhausted, and I was breathing really deeply. And we went into this deep kind of circular breathing. And then and we went into an incredibly powerful meditation where my heart just burst open and like something really powerful was healed in me. And so he knew just how to push you across the edge of your you know, comfort zone. And he helped me in lots of ways to kind of get past powerful you know, issues. And, and so he was my shaman for some time. And eventually, 
you know, that phase ended and we went to, I ended up, he invited me to New York and that's where I found my way back to New York. And, um, and, and I lived in New York for a while and I did my Chino Sang there with the, that I'd learned with the, which is the belly work with my hands, body work. And, um, so I, I, I became really well known in New York, um, as this, healer. like upstate New York or New York city oh, in, in New York city. Um, that's and, interesting. So this was like the mid nineties. Yeah, this is like, yeah, mid nineties. And his girlfriend was a model, um, like a really well-known model, um, really beautiful. And she knew all the kind of, you know, people in New York. So like suddenly I, I was this, um, I came from being this kind of hermit to being this renowned healer. And she set me up in, in their house in Manhattan and people would, you know, kind of people were coming to, to have my belly work and they were paying a lot of money. She was the kind of my agent. And she just said, look, I'm going to sort it all out for you. All you do is do your magic and they're going to bring them. And so like, suddenly I was this, you know, suddenly there were movie stars and kind of other, you know, all sorts of people, amazing people coming. And I was working on them in a very profound way. And the, the you know, I'd had this training. So I had this incredible energy in my hands from this inner work and I knew these techniques that Mantak Chia had taught me and I also was beginning to innovate my own by then um, and so people had a lot of um, powerful breakthrough experiences um, under my hands if you know so I, a lot of deep issues were healed in people and, and my name got around for a while um, and it, it did kind of in you know in the end I just I'd kind of almost burnt out. I've been in New York for like nine months doing that. And I, I'd never been in a city that long because I grew, grew up in the country. And I just one day said to her name was Angel. I just said, come on, I, I need to get out now, you know. And I left and I uh, went off traveling and that was and I didn't come back. So this guy in New York, the healer was suddenly gone. <laughs> and um, and another chapter opened. But that that was all part of my my journey and my story of seems a long time ago now it's my pre-saturn cycle you know before my saturn return. ah you get it yeah, i was gonna say when you said you were like 1920s i was like oh you weren't even 28 yet yeah man. yeah and and it was so it, as far as you know it all changed saturn returned yeah yeah it does that's an understatement um <laughs> it sounds like a speaking of saturnian kind of uh teaching what you know when the student's ready the master appears it sounds like you've really lived that kind of life very succinctly yeah. Um, as far as him kind of being um, a fascist or whatever, trying to get you yeah. up the hill. It seems he, I don't know if he's going to be doing that for everybody. It seems he heard what your trigger was and then like yeah. pushed you through the portal of that pain to the degree where it became weaponized or you confronted it fully or however you want to look at it. Um, so I, I would like to think he's not like using that as his like, you know, Taibo no. strategy or whatever, but it sounds like he found the magic for your algorithm and was like, yo, we need to like go deep into that portal. Um, as far as Manhattan in the nineties, you might've heard of, um, Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian church. My grandparents helped found that church. So they were up in the Manhattan in like the late eighties and nine, uh, early nineties. So probably around the same time you're up there. I, I'm not from New York city, but I've been up to central park and, you know, FAO yeah. shorts and the whole, deal a bunch of times it's great time to be there oh that city's insane especially back then it was just it was i mean the internet hadn't really taken off so it yeah. still had this organic kind of grime to it yeah. um but it, it was uh, more yeah. safe it was more edgy and... exactly 
Yeah, there were so, characters, you know, all over. There were amazing characters on the streets that we became friends with. And yeah, it was it was quite a time. So was it weird? I mean, um, I've not run it. I mean, I think if you were a celebrity, but this isn't really freaking me out because I'm on a phone and it's like I'm just chilling in my bed, kind of shooting the shit. Um, did you ever have like starstruck moments giving, you know, belly rubs to Madonna or whatever? Like, what was that like? Did that get old quickly? Did you enjoy um, that kind of scene or how that work? I kind of loved it. It was sort of a, it just I just fell into it. I I. I didn't kind of buy it fully, actually, because I there was always this part of me that thought, you know, I can do this. You know, I, I want to do this to ordinary people, you know, as well. Uh, and I but uh, yeah, for the time, it was like I was well into it. There was a lot of money coming in. We you know, we we also we lived well. We lived a kind of paradoxical life of we was we were Taoist hermits in the in the city of New York. But we also went out and we 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 bought beautiful clothes and we went out and we dined well and we drank wine. And at the same time, we were doing spiritual practice, very intense spiritual practice. But there was that was one of the things that, you know, my teacher really taught me is like that you can he he he, he was quite into Osho. Um, that was one of his um, big influences. And um you know, Rajneesh and and Rajneesh's great kind of teaching was bringing the paradoxes together, you know, that you can live, you know, you can live a very, you know, amazing kind of life in the middle of the world. And yet you can be incredibly spiritual at the same time. And so. Right. A lot of people tend to think hyper materialism, I mean, yeah. isn't woke or something. And it's weird because it takes all kinds. And I don't I mean. Like you can't really judge a book by the cover. I think there's probably, hmm, how would I say, um, themes that might come up, like distractions or something. But it depends on once I guess, in, um, not only their integrity, but their uh, what's the word, their um, and like what they're trying to do with it. Like so, uh, uh, speaking of the paradox, because I mean, I think life is a paradox. Yeah, intentions. Thank you. I was like, I know it's an I word. Why is it evading me? Uh, the intentions kind of color it. How do you? Um, and we could just kind of open up a, a worm. Sh uh, well, I'm kind of curious in terms of like how you started kicking off into the writing and the poetry words and stuff like that. But how do you deal with the idea of paradox as a double Gemini? I'm always telling my fiance, I'm like, and your jinkies say the word paradox probably more than any book I've ever read, which I highly appreciate. It's like it's both and it's not either or there's a simultaneity. It's not, you know, you can be rich and famous and woke or you can be a hermit and be miserably far from spirit at that level. Um, so how do you kind of rec you know, with that specific, maybe the New York kind of like, uh, up, you know, up East side scene or whatever was going on. Um, how did you not justify? Cause that seems like you have to defense it, uh, have to have a defense, but how did you reconcile the paradox in your own mind? I think, you know, we, it was like riding the edge, you know, so we really rode the extremes you know, so we we will and and the paradox, you know, like this man was a master of paradox. You know, so we would be wearing like a beautiful suits and then one day he'd climb up into a dumpster, you know, on the street and he'd say, let's go in there. And and I'd say, we, you know, in, in this gear, <laughs> it's like, he come on. And we jumped down on this one time into the I swear this is a true story. We jumped down into this dumpster. And where people had just put their garbage, and I was like, okay. And I just learned to kind of follow him, and um, 
and magic happened. And and he and he he was like looking through the garbage and looking for stuff to you know recycle or anything. And then he picked up a a bag of trash and he threw it over to me. And he said like open that up. And I was like I'm not opening that. <laughs> he said just do it. And this I this is like a Virgo's worst nightmare for the record. Yeah. They're like so, clean, organized. Yeah. This is like let's go into the dirty trash of Manhattan. <laughs> and it and so I, anyway, I swear this is true. I opened up this trash bag and it was filled with wrapped up presents unopened <laughs> like beautifully wrapped presents. that's crazy yeah talk about like hyperdimensional weirdness I know. uh and, i mean i don't know if he knew that ever, but he looked at me and he said don't ever forget the symbol of this <laughs> you know and and if you could i mean it's not a gene key probably but if you could i mean i see what you're saying poetically but like how would you describe the the, the metaphor of the meaning of that moment like how have you how are you remembering it's, that? It's my life now, isn't it? The shadow is in the, the gift is in the shadow. You know, like the, the, the gift is in you. So you've got to go into that trash in order to kind of find those secret, beautiful things. And you know what we did with those presents? We didn't open any of them. We took them with us and we went back home and then we went out onto the street and we, and we invited all the people we knew from the street to come for a party and and we laid on drink and we made nice food and we had all these raggedy people come in and and we gave them all these presents <laughs> and we didn't know what that's was what's it. up yeah i was gonna say worst case scenario was like a sex shop had like gone out of business no. or something crazy no it was like books and videos and kind of they were it was like stuff it was nice stuff you know some pens and you know some some divorce that had gone wrong or you know something um it was yeah, it was something yeah one so, man yeah. gathers what another man spills as they say so that is good on you for kind of tying it into your work where it's like yo the gift is in the shadow the, the literally the gift wraps are in the shadow of the dumpster possibly yeah yeah so anyway those those were part of my early kind of trainings i guess it seems you look at life and i mean obviously like life is life but you kind of approached it like a dojo it seems like you're willing to go through the levels of initiation. Not everybody chooses that pre-incarnationally. I'm not sure about your presuppositions, but it seems like you've kind of, you know, what with especially the North Node in Aries and all this Virgo, it's like you're here to master kind of data in a practically embodied way, if that makes sense. So, um, so we've got up to mid New York. Like, I'm kind of curious. When did you start being like, yo? Well, first of all, had you been you majored in English and stuff like that. Had you been making poetry this whole time? Were you being creative like on the side? Yeah, particularly in, when I was in, in, you know, I think it was the Chinese poet in me, you know, like the, the, when I'm up in the mountains, the poet, you know, especially if I'm on my own, that poetry just kind of stirs in my soul. And, um, and that's, that's when I started writing um, when I was up there on, in my own in that little cabin. And I realized I could write poetry and, um, and it sounded good you know i was like it, it, i was in love with the sound of it in english you know that's and um and the shapes and the textures my early ones were a little bit you know kind of rough but then i started you to create, can forgive yourself it yeah, is a process but, yeah i started to create poems that were really i thought were really quite beautiful um and um and it was, it was very pleasurable and i didn't kind of you know then i i waited for them to come I've always been like that. I waited for poems to come. I didn't kind of like some poets have a practice where they go, I'm going to write a poem every day. And that's like a certain discipline as a kind of 
dharma that they do and i i've it's because i'm not a kind of poet as a life journey i'm a poetic man uh i didn't ever feel the need for that so i haven't written vast amounts of poetry i've just i've just been there when certain poems have arrived and at different times and they've helped me like when my father died my mother died i mean um you know kind of a decade ago writing a poem was the best way that i could kind of i don't know encapsulate that grief and that that celebration of her life and i read that poem at her and i knew i was writing a poem to read at her memorial service um and so you know things like that like they can be really beautiful ways of um processing deep spiritual soul emotions so yeah i've always loved that but i'm not so much a poet as i think that's as as a poetic person and i i kind of I, I try and encourage that in others as well. You don't have to be able to write or you don't have to be a master of language. It's the way you look at life. It's the way you, you receive life in a poetic way, in an aesthetic way, you know, so that you you appreciate what comes your way. I can very much uh, appreciate that. It's funny, I had kind of a Kundalini awakening in high school. <laughs> Um, and I didn't have the mentors running through the hills like you did. I wish I did, but Hey, I guess I signed up for the, uh, jump out with a, out of parachute Dharma or whatever. Um, so I was kind of freaking out and not really cogent, but like lucid simultaneously. It was really bizarre. And, uh, I remember my, like, this is in high school, right? So like, um, I'm not in mm -hmm. college or anything yet, uh, which I dropped out of for art history. So I get the poetic thing is kind of what I'm getting at with this. But my friend, I was at my friend's uh, parent with hanging out with my friend and his parents were doing dinner or whatever. And they're like, so what are you trying to do with your life? And I remember it was almost like channeling kind of sounds like woo, but I don't really know how to explain it. But it's like something from the depths of me was like, I want to be a poet. I don't write poetry. Right. Like I might mess with haikus occasionally, but I kind of understand uh, at a fundamental kind of core level what you mean, where it's like there's a beautiful aesthetic, um, potentially linguistic, but not necessarily a way of kind of floating through the Tao. And mm -hmm. uh, it seems kind of you're on that trip. So uh, so it seems like like you're a hobbyist, but you've gotten awards for it. What's up with that? Uh, yeah, that was, um, I wrote some, you know, I, I remember when I said another time when I sailed across the Atlantic, um, I wrote, I was selling, yeah, I was, I was, I remember I, I wrote a poem cause you'd gaze at the sea for hours and hours on end. And I wrote this one poem anyway, my, I, I'd been away and my, I met my wife when I was around tw 29 and, um, and then my life changed from that point and became much more kind of much more embedded and um, at, and structured. And um, she kind of said, I've sent off one of your poems to, a, you know, a couple of your poems to this thing. I said, oh, well, that's really nice. Nice thought. You know, it was some competition. She said, I just saw it. And so I, you weren't here. And I thought, I'm just going to do it for you. And you never know. Um, and we went away somewhere. I can't remember. We went away traveling and came back. And there was this, the, all these messages on my machine saying, "You've been given. You've been given the the, the poetry, the first prize in this poetry award for your poem. One of your poems you submitted." And 
And they'd had these two um, judges, one was a woman, one was a man, and they had, I don't know how many thousands of poems sent in. And it was in Ireland. It's this beautiful place in Ireland, the south of Ireland, you know, the, the land of poetry. And um, and they'd sifted through all these poems and the two of them had come separately to their, their list and they'd seen which ones they both loved. And they got it down to sort of five or six poems, and then they both agreed that the, that was that my my poem, the one I'd written, was their favourite. And um, and so I had these calls, and then I was flown out to Ireland to receive this kind of um, award. And uh, at this in this beautiful festival in the south, a town called Bantry. And I'd never been to Ireland either. And, I'd, and I'd always, the poet in me had always wanted to go to Ireland. And so to me, it felt like having a receiving a poetic, poetic knighthood, you know, being given in Ireland the land where poetry drips from the trees. You know, and, and by two Irish poets, you know, who had considered all these poems, many of them Irish, and chosen this one Englishman. <laughs> And I was so honoured. I cannot tell you how honoured I felt and how humbled I felt in that room. Um, when the being... wife pulls through. During yeah. a Saturn return, I might add. So it's like, yeah. oh, that was heavily karmic stuff. I'm not like a Joycean by any means, but um, my way – I was going to kind of well, – this makes sense now. We might as well go this direction. Um, language as a substrate to reality. Uh, Finnegan's Wake I haven't totally read or anything like that, but um, – I'm, I've come to it through the Marshall McLuhan kind of Terrence McKenna angle. Um, I'm kind of wondering how you view language. I mean, obviously, Gene Keys, ATGC, this gets into like the, the language of our biology in a very materially reductionistic way, um, presuming you're not. I mean, I don't know if you think we're in this like, you know, dream fractal. Like, it seems like you're more magical than not. But it also seems you're very practical, very Virgo and not too surprising mm -hmm. given your chart. Um, how do you look at the function of language? Like you're talking about poetry, but you're also very, it seems, succinctly aware of the um, the role it plays in our design, uh, even just in terms of like, like I was saying, genes. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think language is? Uh, do you think it's something like a fluke? Do you think this is a substrate of reality? Like, how do you feel about language? And just briefly before you answer, I'd like to say that, um, you know, I mean, right now I'm still reading, of course. There was a time when I would say I've read plenty more books or, you know, there's a phase in life for everything. And then, you know, you sift through maybe even French philosophy and so on, and you realize, oh, it takes like a hundred pages to get to the gist of it that could have been put on one page, which is then I enjoy channels like Daryl Anker with Bashar or Lissa Royal or many others that seem to put things you know, just much more simply. And then yours was one of the books I came across. It was like, oh, that's a huge tome. So of course I'm gonna start um, reading my own Gene Keys. And I was truly like very much uh, delighted when I was reading and I was like, oh, so nice. This totally makes sense. There is no superfluous text. It makes sense both from a psychological and spiritual perspective from my point of view, of course. So I'd just like to thank you for creating that particular tome. And you may like to tie that process somewhat into your answer in regards to language. Thank you, Raphael. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what I have learned now, I don't know if I knew it back then, is that language, you know, all language, it comes from a common language, you know, that is a kind of language of light um, that is an interdimensional kind of um, fractal language. And it's it's embedded in the nature of reality. 
And so all the different languages and the different symbols that flow from this language of light, it's almost like it's like the one language shattered and it's shattered into these beautiful fragments of sound and sound bites. And, and then humans came along and, and, and we started to play with them and perhaps also other species in other you know dimensions also play with the language. And so there's, you know, languages so like, I can give you a, something like an idea of how subtle I feel it is. Like, you know, one day I, I, I was walking in the mist in England and, uh, and I became aware of this other language dimension. I just was listening and I heard it. And, and it was almost like you could say it was the elf dimension or it was the, the Deva dimension. And I realized that their language was hugely more subtle than ours. And I started to see it in little, in shapes of trees and reflections of light in puddles and sounds of like drops of rain or, you know, things like that. And so there were, there's these subtle grains of language that run through creation that if you're attuned to them, you can read the language and you can read the language and it's everywhere in nature. Nature is the, is the great bedding of, of where all the languages come from. So if, if we're really listening to nature, you know, and if you've ever done psychedelics, which I'm sure you have, and I'm sure many people listening to this have, you, you begin to tune into these other language streams and strands. And so for me, when I came to kind of write my own uh, tome, The Gene Keys, which I didn't know was going to be this big thing, I just sort of settled into this formula that had come from China, this I Ching, and I used the art of contemplation of each of those kind of, I guess they're like letters, you know, each of those hexagrams, those shapes, uh, they're, each one is a fractal aspect of the whole, is, a, is an archetype, a living archetype of wisdom, an encyclopedia of wisdom. And, and so how I, I kind of thought, how am I possibly going to capture like an entire language that's contained in that symbol that opens up into a whole fractal fractal universe of its of its own? So when I came to write Jinky's book, I thought, OK, well, let's just do it through the human range. You know, that's just let's make it practical. So, so I, that's why I chose these words very, very carefully three layers of words for each jinky, for each gift, you know, a shadow, a gift, and then a siddhi, you know, a siddhi from the Sanskrit, meaning kind of divine um, revelation or divine gift. And out of those three words came a spectrum, you know, and that spectrum also is a great word, you know, because it, it involves the idea of color and grade and tone and frequency. And so, when I came into the, started to write the Gene Keys or it started to write itself through me, I was writing the book of the universe, if you like. And these 64 codes, I realized they were embedded, not just in our DNA through having 64 codons, but also in the musical universe through the eight octaves, through, you know, the fire ratios, through, uh, you know, through architectural kind of the architecture of life itself and even through time you know, like the cycles of time. And so I began to see the whole universe woven of these language patterns. And I was writing the human language pattern, which is what the Gene Keys is. 
you know, so it shows you these 64 codes. And I, I was just writing it and I didn't know how to use it at all. That came later. And the profiles. Did it feel the, like trying to climb Mount Everest? Yeah. Like, were you like, holy shit, I know what this is? Or were you like, oh, just a little, like, it's building up to a Kublai Khan over time? Like, how did it feel? Like, while you're processing this, did you feel like a vessel for the for the DAO? Or, like, you know, it seems like you kind of got the download. I mean, for me, this is one of the more profound. I mean, there's certain chunks in human evolution that seem, you know, like Da Vinci with perspective, um, Shakespeare, or, you know, all the literature at one point was like, okay, let's get woke. Uh, it seems like you really kind of grokked some fundamental things. I don't know how con I mean, obviously conscious of it to a degree, but it's like, did you feel like it was once again, like that kind of energy flowing through you kind of thing? Or were you like, just briefly to tie this in right here, um, because it may relate and you speak of the codons and that's, I'm sure you have material that I just haven't scoped where I explain this in more detail, but I'm also certain that you're aware of, um, Bruce Lipton, and biology of belief mm -hmm. and at least for me it greatly assisted even though by now i'm good with not understanding everything in detail if i understand the principle and what you've written there also really helped me in a sense to tie this together even more maybe there's something you can even speak on that in terms of the i don't know biological connection or just the, this apps actually what it's about is the idea of this absolute self-empowerment yeah well, I think if you, you know, because I've told you a lot of my the story that led up to this. So you can put all those pieces together and you realize, wow, you know, I was trained as a deep embodied body worker, you know, working in the belly, you know, and 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 the belly is the source of all kind of the energy meridians in our being and all the different systems of our being kind of have the, you know, in the navel, there's this kind of... The dantian kind of thing. Yeah, the dantian, the, the one point, you know, the central point of our being, if you like, the, you know, the Ouroboros, they just deep in there. And and that's that was, you know, that's where the, the language all emerges from. So it was only later when I kind of learned a little bit about DNA and those patterns. And I've still, you know, I'm not a kind of, I, I'm very honest about this. I, I'm not a scientist. Um, I'm kind of a, po a poet first and foremost. And so when, what you get, you know, through my poetic training, I was able to kind of look through that kind of logical lens of contemplating those codes and then let the poetry just come. And, and so it was a strange mix of the kind of left brain logic and then this this poetic interpretation that came. And and it, and those two streams came together in me as I wrote that book. And, and it it sort of wrote itself very easily. And I wrote it. First of all, I wrote, you know, uh, the 64. Um, I didn't do them in any particular order. I did them in a random order. And, uh, and I have no record of that order either. Um, and I remember some of them coming at, towards the end and the big ones like the 55 that shook me. But um, that's another story. But uh, when I'd done the first, I got all 64 of them, I kind of looked at it and it had taken me a, a, you know, a couple of years. And I thought, I need to go into this again. And so I went back in and then I rewrote another whole vein and expanded it and cleaned it up and perfected it and equalized because some of the earlier ones would, were not as kind of defined as the later ones which where i'd sort of learned and i've matured as i wrote 
So going back in was really important to kind of equalize this, the, all the keys so that they felt each one felt complete. And each one had to feel complete. And I could not let go of it until it felt complete. And that is a perfectionist kind of layer of the Virgo. It sounds yeah. like you coaxed a wolf out of the woods. And over yeah. time, it's like White Fang. You developed a relationship. And now you're teaching it some tricks, even, dare I say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a strange feeling when I finished as well. Because then I finished and then I wrote the introduction at the end. And, um, and once I finished the whole book, I just sat back and I had this kind of shudder that went through me of, of, I don't know what it was. It was this feeling of like, that is some book that's just come through you. <laughs> I, I, you know, I knew what I'd written. No, and I, I just knew that this was like this, inc- I, did, I, I hadn't even written it, you know, it just got written. But I kind of had this sensation of like, this book is going to cause a stir. And, and I had no idea how, and I, I just knew it in my bones. I was like, this is, you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt this shudder in me of the, of the power of the book and, and how it had come from DNA itself. It had come from one person's DNA. It had been written from my DNA. It had been written from my embodied kind of understanding. And, that, and that's not to say it's perfect because it's just my version. And in a way, everyone could write their own. Um, it was sort of, it was, an, it was sort of a new form of the I Ching, if you like. Um, and it was only it's only later that I realized that there were lots of ways to use it. And there's, I'm still uncovering new ways of using it because um, just, just reading it is one is OK. It's like this one thing, but it's not really a readable book to me. I'd like I wouldn't sit down and read that book because <laughs> it's it's like, wow. It's it's more mystical than that. I, I'd want to kind of move through it in a mysterious way. So then the profiling system came and lots of other routes of using it have come and are still growing. So, yeah, it's still it's, it's still very much at work in, inside me and still coming out in a way. It hasn't stopped. Yeah. And just well, it seems like the... almost like a base camp. Oh, go ahead, Rafael. No, just because the synchronization pops up in my head uh, and we talk about uh, genetics, uh, codons, and uh, yeah, I just have to ask to whatever degree willing to comment if you have any experience with ayahuasca, especially given your understanding of, you know, embodiment and uh, let's say varying types of uh, psychic abilities. Uh, I'd be curious because it's just, at least to me, in my experience, and this is not a very common theme, you know, snakes come up and this whole strange, yeah, genetic theme also comes up somehow. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I, you know, I, I hadn't done psychedelics. I, I'd done like some mushrooms, as I said, when I was younger, and I did them in a very um, kind of powerful way, so, you know, quite a few times, um, exploring, you know, the inner states and meditating with them. But then um, when my kind of 20s fell away, that part of my journey stopped and I got married and I started having children. And that was just a different phase of my life. And then I guess it's only been in the last five years where occasions have arisen where I was in like one a couple of years ago where for the first time I took some substances having, you know, after having gone through all this and having written the book. And, you know, so I, I didn't know what the gene keys were 
through that lens. I hadn't looked through that psychedelic lens at what I created. So I had this experience of for the first time looking at life having created this thing, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, um, and so I took some, you know, yes. with yeah. some friends, I took some mushrooms and some MDMA and a cocktail of, you know, stuff that he provided. And and for the first time, I looked around and we were deep in nature and I just, you know, I was, we were in the forest in Vermont, in the deep in the woods. And I looked around and every tree I looked at, I could tell you it's gene key and I could tell you it's line and I could and every leaf and everything everywhere I looked I could see the code and the pattern I was like wow this is just everywhere embedded in every so it was and I haven't done ayahuasca and it's not been part of my journey it's it may be still but um but I know that many people work with the gene keys and ayahuasca and um yeah, you're right. It's you see you, you, because you you experience the living vehicle of the DNA at work inside you, you know, th- through the serpent path and the serpent energy, and that's very much what is the is the energy in, in the book itself. It has a serpentine. The language itself is coded from that place, from that Kundalini place. So it's a it's a book that has that when you read it, you know, I, I used to joke in the early days is a book that talks to your DNA. It's a book that actually, as you read it, it reprograms your DNA. And I don't talk about that too much now because I, I believe that to be the case for the record. Just so you yeah. know, like I, it's and, like, and just I to read say it, again, it's real. not just talking about believing something, but again, everyone check out Bruce Lipton biology of belief. It yeah. is explained that our gene expression is contingent upon our beliefs. And, you know, if we can program ourselves with the bad variants of uh, consumerist culture, we may as well program ourselves, uh, you know, in terms of homo sanctus, which is a term you coined, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the future human, the, the, the true human, the sacred human. But yeah, it's because DNA... It reminds the me a little of Bowie's The Golden Ones or whatever. It's like, yeah. oh, we're going this way. Yeah. And the you know DNA is a, as a language it it is very similar to our language you know which is why the words we use um, are super important because they they literally are recognised by the DNA inside us so the way we think the way we think about someone else the way we talk about someone is programming the field literally and the DNA of that person hears it and takes it in whether they're near you or not. And so you, you begin to realize that every thought and every word is carrying this frequency embedded in it, and it returns to you. And so this is the mechanics of the minutiae of karma at work. And when you really understand that, it really kind of changes your reality. You realize, oh my goodness, everything I say and think is programming my bio vehicle, my reality, and and the and the field itself, and the field is then rippling and responding. That means I need to be super careful <laughs> what I think and what I say and what I do, um, and and that gives you a sense of real powerful inner discipline of like, wow, I really want to create beauty in the world, and and it doesn't mean you kind of do a spiritual bypass either that you 
you know, it means you have to take in the shadow energy as well. And that's what I learned, obviously, from, you know, the earlier teachings in my life. Like you've got to kind of harness the the energy of the shadow and let, allow it to transmute itself. That was the teaching of Mantak Chia, you know, the alchemy. You start with the base material, you know, and you and you spin it and you spin it and it transforms and, and it quickens and then it it raises its frequency and then it eventually becomes light. It becomes this, this energy inside us that's, that, that's kinetic, that moves through us, that's creative. It becomes creativity. It becomes genius. And even further, it becomes awakening. It becomes revelation. It becomes compassion. It becomes these cities, you know, these high heightened states, even the miraculous. It becomes miraculous. And it allows us to read the sacred hidden languages of creation and um you know and this is the, the homo sanctus you know the future human or that it, it's in a way it is i call it that but it is the now human as well um but it hasn't yet been fully opened up you know it's still waiting inside our dna to kind of come online and it's a completely different way of being you know it's it's a human that's collective in nature it's humanity you know, humanity itself is is the human. So we can't. That, that's why we have to take in the shadow, because in order to get to that highest state of consciousness, we have to embrace the shadow in every in every person. And so when we look at the world and we see kind of all kinds of aberrations of truth and we see all kinds of difficult things to look at, and difficult behaviors and tyrannical behaviors, it's just the shadow. It's the shadow consciousness at work. And everywhere we see it, we have to like embrace it with our love. As Christ taught, as Buddha taught, you know, as these great, you know, mages have taught. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it, Gene Keys and my life also has had this prophetic um, energy running through it as well, um, which I kind of knew as a boy, um, but then sort of lost. Um, until it came back, I think, you know, at the, when, you know, at that time I told you about when the energy awakened, awakened in me again and the search began. If I may, I would like to provide a real life example uh, through what you mentioned in a sense, also the prophesizing part. So I just opened up my hologenetic uh, profile and one of the main four uh, cornerstones, the radiance part is 52.2 which is uh, the shadow is stress, then the gift is restraint and the city is stillness. And I believe that this is the one, if I'm not mistaken now, whereas within the city part, so, you know, a few years ago I was reading through this and I already had some, done some of, some of my work, who knows what I've done in other or parallel lives. So this is always the fun part, like when you're far advanced in one life quickly, does it mean you're so great or does it just mean you've had plenty of other incarnations or whatever? But anyways, so... um. I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, I'm good here, I'm good here. And then you start reading the city parts and you're like, okay, this sounds good, okay. And then it goes like into, you would say, superpowers, which of course are just normal human abilities. Mm -hmm. And one of the aspects, and I believe it was the stillness part, read something along the lines of, then you will be able to create a field, whereas at sync, I would say now, the mental superfluous processes of individuals within your vicinity will be completely shut down. Mm -hmm. Is that maybe the the stillness city, if you if you know by heart? 
or certainly it is one that occurs within that one of those and um so i'm reading this and i'm like wow how could this ever happen to me i am quite airy so in lots of mental processes going on and how should it ever happen that then in my vicinity someone would have no thought and then eventually i got into like two three years later into doing conscious channeling and doing this for several friends and uh different people and in this case doing a one-on-one -on -one session uh, with a friend of mine and I channel and we talk and it was a kind of serious dolphin connection and then at some point she's saying oh I have no more questions I'm just feeling good and she later explained just what is explained in the city and I was like oh so apparently these things I mean it's all real of course it is but yeah just to provide a real life example yeah thank you yeah no thanks Raphael it is and you know when you read the 55th gene key there's a piece in there and the, it's a very prophetic one now obviously and if you're reading a book that's a good one to dive straight into and um, there's a piece in there called the stilling of the wave and it describes how these cities um, may come into the world you know so if even one of them is made manifest through a human being. You know, if, if one of them is turned on, it floods the field of humanity. Like so, so that's why one person attaining realization has a vast effect on the totality because it reaches, you know, like the shadow doesn't have that capacity. It kind of hit, it stays on its plane. You know, it's, it's it's low frequency plane. And even though it adds to the general noise, it kind of it doesn't have that incredible capacity to reach into every single human being. Whereas the city, the moment it comes online, it touches every single human being instantaneously. That stillness, a little bit of that stillness is incarnate, is incarnated into the whole of humanity. And so you actually to transfer form humanity you actually only need a certain number of these cities <laughs> so a certain number of awakened ones and and i think this has been a a story that humanity has kind of tracked in different legends and myths over the like eons. 144,000 and all this kind yeah, of stuff exactly the chosen ones the what of the chosen people the you know and you know, it's and, and of course, it's it's a really great one for spiritual egos to get sidetracked into. Um, but it's a beautiful indication of where we're heading, you know, that there's there's a flowering coming and it only takes a certain number to trigger the irreversible kind of a full awakening of humanity. And, and therefore the transmutate, the very fast transmutation of vast amounts of ancient shadow material, you could call it. Um, I was going to say, it's very much like a tipping point in alchemy. Yeah. It's like once you hit a point, like a hundredth monkey threshold, it's like it, it has its own momentum at that point. Yeah. Whether it's quantum entanglement or however one wants to label this, it seems. Like I do agree, like, um, and I don't know about your presuppositions in terms of yugas and things like that, but it seems like it's been a very dense field to try to punctuate but it's one we've chosen, so it's not like, you know, I mean, this obviously presupposition is Raphael's more on the way. It's like the Bashar wave where it's like, yo, this is all uh, not solipsism exactly, but it's like this is exactly where we need to be. Like every shadow light gift is like, you know, it's where it needs to be. So at some point you start hitting um, a terminal velocity or whatever. 
And it's just like, yo, uh, and it seems you've alluded to this in the book with, I mean, I obviously wrote it before 2012, 2012 and on for me has been insane. Uh, that's when I started, you know, doing a lot of psychedelics. I don't do them so much now, but that's when team rabbit hole became a thing. That's when I met Raphael. Um, it, Terrence McKenna was all about, you know, the transcendental object at the end of time. We're starting to go through this portal in 2012. Um, Obviously, in your work, it's you talk about going from the uh, I don't know if it's your work specifically or if it's human design, and then you're echoing it. But the Ajna to the solar plexus at 2027 kind of shift. It seems like we're right in the birth canal. <laughs> um, you know, we walk in the moment, or so to speak. And I haven't had children. Um, my fiance is British, but I don't think we're gonna get. So um, it feels like we've walked into the room collected. Like if we were to take a snapshot, it's like, oh, there's a woman. It, she's crowning. She's screaming. There's blood everywhere. The husband's fainted. Like, just, you know, the doctor's like not in the room yet. Like, someone's freaking out, going to get him. Like, but it's happening. Like, this seems like we've hit a uh, a moment, probably 2012 and on. Um, and that might tie into the 55 that you were talking about because in the in the book, the uh, the Jinky book, it says, you know, and I've taken it quite literally. Like, don't read this like one to page 500 or whatever, right? It's like uh, actually somebody who's going to come on the podcast who made a kind of oracle card deck from uh your book elijah i think is his name uh yeah. bought his deck uh yeah he's gonna come on he's friends oh, with gemini right. brett who's oh, cool he's, he's and, you'll love him yeah yeah he's yeah uh we've been having scheduling issues but that's life these days ain't it so um but yeah i pulled those cards with my fiance we read the thing uh, i've got 55 um uh and she's got 22 so those are like you know kind of this as above so below kind of weird thing going on I'm kind of curious what the experience of writing the 55 was. You alluded to it earlier. Uh, I am kind of curious about that anecdote. And then I, it feels like that 55 is talking about, you know, the dragonfly kind of mutating randomly. It seems like that's the 2012 situation. We've hit a crescendo point where things are just ready to go in a new direction um, from, you know, aquatic beast to flying thing or whatever. Mm. The conscious yours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it. It took me by surprise that Jinky when I when it came to be written, and um, I was in San Francisco at the time, and I'm not sure I've told this story, but um, visiting a really dear friend of mine, like a soul sister, who's a a poet and a an, an incredible pianist, like one of the top pianists in the U.S., and um, I was with her, and we were. We kind of we get together every few years, and we met at the Mantak Chia thing years and years ago. You know, she was she's a meditator, a deep meditator, very silent in in a woman, and um, we would come together, and we and it's like a holiday from samsara when we're together because there's no um, there's just there's just an instant drop in, and there's no kind of clutter of ego at all, or you know anything like that. Um, and she's uh, oriental and um so we uh we were we were having <laughs> we were having lunch in a kind of really nice restaurant and um we we and it came time for dessert and we and we were having this incredible conversation and i was talking to her about i was in the middle of writing the gene keys book and i was talking to her about dna and the language of music and she started to talk to me about music you know, from from being a great pianist and her subtle understanding of music. And we entered this incredible realm of insight together. And then this huge piece of cheesecake came <laughs> between us. 
and because we, we ordered this one New York cheesecake or something, and 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 we're in this incredibly like refined thought realm. And then this cake arrived, and we looked at it and we laughed. And I remember her saying to me, "I wonder what transmission is hiding in that cake." <laughs> it's like, it was like a great moment. Anyway, so we ate the cake, and when I got home, I started to write the fifty-five, and. Um, and so it's always been a bit of a joke for me that the, the, the you know the the proof is in the pudding or you know those those sayings that something very dense often contains the deepest um, story or the deepest subtlest revelation. And I'm not saying it was the cake, but it was a good symbol again. And I, I love symbols, as you can tell. So um, then I started to write that, or it started to write itself, and it was much longer than any of the other keys, and I just went with it. And it contained this really strong prophetic stuff. And I was writing, I was going, oh, my God, do I really want to put this in? <laughs> is this really going to come in? I just kept going with it and it kept going. And this is what the future is going to look like. And then there's going to be these children and then we're going to change our education. And then the science is going to change. And, um, you know, the environment is going to get healed and all these things. Um, and it was positive and upbeat. And, um, but, but very kind of, rainbow warrior prophecy kind of yeah. hopey style yeah it, yeah absolutely um but then you know it was balanced out when i wrote the 22 which was the last gene key i wrote um and 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 i'd been very sick and my whole family had been sick and and i was sort of dragging myself around trying to take care of my wife and kids and i was really sick and it was terrible you know, it, it, because the last thing you can do when you want to, you know, when you're already ill, is take care of someone else. And you, you had all these sick kids as well, and it was it was terrible. It was a real low point of my life. And as I came out of that illness, um, I saw really clearly the 22nd gene key, which was about the nature of suffering. And I wrote, I wrote it, and it kind of balanced out the prophecy of the 55 in a way because it showed what it was rooted in. All that hope and that rainbow prophecy is rooted in the transmutation of the of the suffering through the divine feminine, you know, and, and it was the deep feminine transmission. And that was where I kind of um, started to realize that, the, that the, you know, more and more that the feminine was going to kind of be given power in the world and given back its power. And uh, and it's been my huge, huge joy to see that um, coming to fruition. And um, yeah, and many, many incredible women who've been drawn to Gene Keys and these teachings and men as well. But the majority are, are really empowered women. And um, and I see them taking it out there into different countries, into different languages and nations and translating the work and then, you know, passing it on. And uh, it's like it's a real um, privilege you know, I, I feel like I'm in this incredibly privileged movie and I'm sort of watching, you know, because I've done I'm still doing my work, but I've done my kind of major piece of work. And 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 now I'm watching and seeing these incredible allies coming and taking it out further, further and many of them taking it further than I could, you know, with my kind of slightly limited skill set, Um, because there's a lot of things I'm not so good at. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, like I was saying earlier, it's kind of like a base camp you've made on Everest, and it had to be established. Like yeah. a lot of people have been looking this way, 
like or whatever human evolution has been kind of tra- going this trajectory and whether you look at it as a recapitulation of the I Ching, um, kind of like, uh, David D'Angelo's, the, uh, star mantra that I read it or the Rider Waite deck, um, got redone by Crowley, that kind of thing. Um, there could be recapitulations of themes. So I, I definitely sense that, but it also feels that, uh, just the zeitgeist. I mean, this gets weird because I mean, I don't know if you believe like this is an eternal moment in our, you know, linear perspective of it. it's like mm-hmm. an illusion or you know mm-hmm. how you view time like that. But it feels like we're in a qualitatively different moment than anything before us, particularly. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the magic of the fifty-five and twenty-two words. Like the fifty-five seems to me like kind of like from apes to angels, like we're rising from you know the earth and trying to reach for the stars, whereas like the angels coming in and you know down and dwelling with us or whatever that's more the 22 where it's like we'll we'll help you get there <laughs> like we want you to come join us like you're our dream actually yeah. and we're gonna like cradle you into this um embryonic stage that yeah. we find ourselves in now um it's funny that you said that do you find that more women are into jinkies than men because it is more intuitive feeling um so that might be part of it like what's the demographic of reaction that you're kind of getting from the yeah i think the generally- people anywhere anywhere where there's a, an awakening community it's more women than men um mostly um but you know and i, and I think there's like really powerful reasons for that um and th- and it's not to say that, that the men aren't empowered as well because there's some incredible men who are like anchor points in the you know in my life and in my community um so but it's it, it's not it's no longer really about men and women it's actually about the feminine itself returning and that can be through a man or a woman or you know it can be in lots of different ways the earth of course and and you know as you said the intuitive understanding of wisdom as opposed to knowledge because we we live in a knowledge based society which is a masculine approach science is is inherently masculine and then wisdom is inherently feminine in that sense. Not not that it's the kind of, you know, it, it belongs to women, but it, it, it the woman's body for sure emanates wisdom. But then so does a man's in a different way. So what I'm saying is, I think it's clear what I'm saying, that, you know, the, the awakening is coming through the, the, the rebalancing of the feminine that has been misappropriated, misunderstood, misjudged, you know, mistreated by religion, science, and just about everything and everyone for a long, long time. So there's this, you know, there's this incredible, I, I see it as the third part of the Trinity, you know, and when the third, it's like the Irish say, ever saying three is the charm, you know, and and when the third comes, the third part comes, then everything is tied together by that third component of the Trinity. And it's the, you know, and that's what, that's the phase that we're in now with the kind of, as you said, apes to angels. And it's an incredible acceleration, which means it's a bottleneck, which means there's incredible stresses about, you know, as, as happens at every birth, incredible stresses to come. And if you think about this year, you know, 2020, and how much has happened in this and 20 is the judgment card and yeah. major arcana it's just like whoa it's so, a big year yeah so you think about just that one year how much has been compressed into that one year and then you think of 2027 seven years away six years away you think what is going to happen between now and then <laughs> you know i mean really like 
contemplate that. How much change is going to be compressed into this bottleneck of time? And 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 I'm not I'm not setting up 2027 as like a kind of golden like moment where everything's perfect at all. But I'm just saying that it's a key date in the awakening process and that these years to come are like years of real kind of the laying out of on the outside, I believe, the the, the kind of decline of modern civilization. And on the inside, the arising up of this incredible future human in specific places and areas. And those two things, the decline of the outer civilization and the rising up of the new, you know, the new spiritual is like they're intimately combined, you know, and and they're, you know, beautifully captured in, in Raru, who's, you know, the, the founder of human design, who, you know, who who kind of tracked these dates for the first time, you know, really kind of found them in, in the patterns of his system. Um, he called it the cross of the sleeping Phoenix. And there was this beautiful um, expression. He was a poet himself and in many ways and a musician. And, you know, and that was, a you know, that's exactly what we are. It's a sleeping Phoenix that's awakening and rising up out of the ashes as the ashes crumble this new creature emerges. And of course, you know, you have to be realistic. I'm a Virgo, as you say, it's going to take a long time, <laughs> you know, for that to get embedded, you know, because we have to go, you know, in, in time space on the material plane, things move, you know, even choke points, you know, where things get really under stress, even they take time and then the healing takes time. You know, so we're going to have to go through some some difficult times, I would say, um lying ahead and i think that's what we're all preparing for dare i say we signed up for this um i mean it seems like that it feels like uh i don't know about you but like ground crew of a new aeon or something it's like you know what it's a little slippery between the between the uh you know the zodiac signs if you want to get into age of aquarius and all this kind of stuff but it's the most interesting the most novel i know Raphael has spoken about bashar mentioning 2027 being Rafael, what were you saying the other day about that specifically? There are, of course, uh, oftentimes like certain namings for certain years and so on. Um, for 2027, it is called the contact fulcrum. So supposedly yet again, a very important decision point in time space where in which it in a sense shall be decided if and if no or if yes, how we would relate to, let's just say, etheric entities where it's about time, you know, just as you mentioned, uh, starting to listen to nature first, which is even within Bashar's storyline about the cryptics and their own supposed, let's say, shamanism track in a future timeline, they also equally start by communing with nature. So I think that's the direction we're headed to recognize ourselves as nature. And then I think uh, it'll all be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It will all be fine. And that's, it's kind of funny. Um, I want to ask you a couple more questions, but we've been talking for a little bit, so I didn't know where you were personally on your kind of uh, clock. Like, are you one out of energy? Let's keep going until we're done. Word, word. Uh, Yeah, yeah, and obviously, like, whenever you want to pull the plug. I mean, probably the next half an hour or so, we'll be like, all right, cool, thanks, come back on. But, um, yeah, I knew you'd be fascinating to talk to because I could just get that from your writing. I'm like, okay, this is dope and on my wave and it's it's magical, but it's not 
it's not beyond belief, I guess is what yeah. Raphael was kind of saying, where it's like grounded and it seems like reasonable is too strong of a word, but kind of what you were alluding to, um, I mean, it's exactly correct, but it's not so like, you know, ground tethered that it's not going to soar or whatever. It allows you to soar. It gives you the wings of Icarus. Just don't go too far with it and you'll be fine. Um, so what we're kind of getting at though, it seems is, uh, the rise of the feminine and the, and the re, balancing it seems like that because i don't think anybody i mean i'm not sure but like you know a xenia warrior princess kind of everyone gets castrated world is an equal opposite of kind of what we've been dealing with um so i don't think we're trying to gun for that um it seems that well uh what is your personal like kind of position on like the nature of causal necessity like do you think these are like everything that happens has to occur that way do you believe in like a multiverse where it's whatever your heart desires and you kind of resonate towards a, a universe where that is like in some way, like what we're talking about, the subjugation of the feminine, what you know, through the patriarchy over the past few thousand years, it seemed that was a necessary, it's kind of like a bicycle riding where it's like, you're falling gracefully. You like pedal on one side, then you pedal on the other, but it's like you're moving forward always. Um, it seems like that was kind of that pedal mode where it's like, we're going to find language, and we're going to kind of discover the material world through sciences and we're going to, you know, like colonize and map. Um, it seems we're kind of hitting the limits of that, even in cosmology, like we've seen the background radiation of the big bang. So it's like, we can't really go beyond that. Um, we're hitting limits in our, um, kind of, you know, informers, if you want to put it that way. And we're going to have to kind of start doing, um, a broad, like, a like the heights maybe have been reached now. It's about the width of it and the, the depth of it. Um, what are your positions like as a like are you and i don't want to pigeonhole you like w the more buddhist taoist thing is it like it is what it is just deal with it ride ride the waves of the you know the hexagram that's at hand or how do you how do you look at free will because some of the um cities are like you're just along for the ride as consciousness yeah. in a vehicle that's signed up for certain pre you know prescriptions and you kind of just got to deal with it and then that's not disempowering but it's a little bit more kind of fatalistic in a way which i'm not against necessarily yeah, um yeah, I'll shut up. You kind of see what I'm saying, though. No, it's it's a great question. Um, I guess you know, each city speaks its own kind of enlightened language, and has its own way of answering that question that you've just asked. Right. So if you asked the the Taoist, you know, the tenth city, which is the you know, being, you know, the 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 city of being then probably the answer would be something like what you said, like, just go with it, you know, just let it be. There's nothing to do here. Everything's perfect. You know, it just is. It is. It's perfect. You can trust it. it you could just open your heart to it. And it's, you know, that's the, that's one response. And it's, and it has truth laced right at the core of it, especially when it's spoken by an, by an awakened being who's, who's manifesting that city. Um, because then it radiates out the, the, the enlightened language actually penetrates you. Um, for me, because it's one of the nice little kind of um, harmonics of, of the Gene Keys and me is that I happen to have the 64th city, 63 and 64 in my profile. And they're, they're my You're kind of programming much, yourself. Yeah. So. It's kind of nice in a way. There's a nice little pattern that I have the final ones in, you know, that I. So you're going to get the language, the answer from me through those ones. Um, and those ones are interesting because they're kind of like the end of the book. 
you know, when you've read a book and then you go in and then there's all the glossary at the end and it's sort of like that. I, so I kind of, I'm the glossary, right? So that's why I wrote the book because <laughs> I'm, I've got to the end and finished with it. So I can go back and kind of understand it. So the answer to your question from me is that there are so many layers of subtlety and dimensions to to answer that question. Like, you know, there there are layers to karma and there are layers of of free will and determinism. And, you know, and there's so, you know, you you cannot, you know, the, the subtlety of understanding the language of light is that it's very difficult to kind of pigeonhole one truth, especially if you're a 63, 64, if that's what you, you, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't land on any one, but I love them all, you know, and they all point to the same thing. So the the answer's in the book. <laughs> and, you know, because all all those paths are true, but there's slightly different variations of understanding the truth. And, um, so I can't kind of fully answer it and by saying any by pointing to any one. I can just show you. Don't the, feel bad. I, I yeah. hear exactly what you're dropping. Yeah. So I mean, it's sure. kind of like dark side of the moon. Uh, yeah. It's white light and then it splinters into frequency bands and every band is true for what it is, but it's all disseminating from that one. Light. A, like my story, you know, I'm an adventurer and a traveler and a voyager. So I love to voyage along them. And and so I, I can pick and choose which ones I'm on right now and, and, and surf that one this day. And then tomorrow I might be surfing another one um, because that's my love. My love is the adventure itself, you know, the, the, the adventure of consciousness itself and its twists and turns and its subtleties. And as I said, it's endlessly subtle. It requires a very, very refined um, kind of super mind in a way to be able to kind of travel down those fractal highways and um and and it really requires the art of contemplation you know which is something that has become more and more important in my teaching like and i, I don't know if you've either of you've read my little book on contemplation but uh, this i intend year, to yeah no it's like a it's it, it it's um it's a distillation of the whole of the gene keys book into like under 90 pages but it doesn't mention any gene keys um, so it's like this kind of little tiny, it's my Zen book and there's not, you know, it's, there are fewer, far fewer words, but they're very carefully chosen and ordered. And, and it, it lays out a very beautiful technique, which is called the art of contemplation, which is the answers are inside us. And if we know how to pause, cause you know, pausing is the first aspect of the art of contemplation, it has three layers. If you know how to pause at every level in your being, then that kind of higher mind can begin to function in you, you know, and, and those gifts can become those cities, but only if you have the kind of capacity to slow down and pause, because con to contemplate means to digest, to mill something, to kind of really take your time with something. And let it kind of sink in, and then you see the nuances and the and the you know the kind of subtleties, and that's you know that's when you become a master, you know, if you can slow down that much. So the art of contemplation requires that we learn to pause in our everyday life. It's very practical, you know. So this little, this little teaching is very really really practical, 
And anyone listening to this, if you're interested, you go. You can either go to Amazon and get the book, or you can go to GeneKeys.com, and probably by the time you've heard this, there'll be a little mini course um, that you can buy that's very, very cheap that you can like that will take you on a journey into the art of contemplation alongside the book. And um, it's just coming out soon that one. And um, and it's um, it's such a beautiful thing because inside pauses, the second phase is called pivoting. And you might recognize Shadow Gift City in this, you know, so pause, pivot, and the third is called merge. So in the in the pit in the pause, as you kind of come into contact with the shadow, there's a pivot, there's a process of transmutation that takes place in the pause. As you're just sitting there, you're just milling something, you're just receiving an energy, or it could be a difficulty, or it could be a, a discomfort in your body, it could be a pain, it could be a an emotion that you you know, and you're just allowing the space, and then this pivot occurs, and you can never predict when the pivot will occur. You know, you can do 20 pauses in a day, and maybe one of them will be a pivot, or you can do you know. 100 pauses in a week and maybe none of them will be a pivot but maybe the next week one of them something magical will occur and something will shift inside you and that pattern will will change and a gift will emerge and the more of those flowers that start kind of emerging in those pauses in your life and in your thoughts and in your feelings then you start to enter into the field of merging and merging is where the city um, comes alive because the city actually is not in in some respect it's not inside us at all it's the field itself so it requires that we merge and the pivots the transmutations the gifts as we follow them into the world it they take us into this field of we begin to re-merge back into creation and the quantum life starts to kind of come alive in us again in a new way and 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 then because of that we have access to higher dimensions you know because our body responds our biology responds to those higher frequencies by creating you know new neural pathways and manufacturing new hormones inside our endocrine system that allow us to then transcend like those trips that we have you know on those high points if we take ayahuasca or something like that but then our body you actually can do it naturally for the record i mean yeah. i've done it astral projection without drugs it's like oh shit you just have to yeah. condition the boat to be faced the right way for the wind to catch it's just like that exactly so that's what i'm saying so that the uh, yeah the body is a laboratory that can create those elixirs quite on its own and um and it can then create them and recreate them over and over and over um and in a way that's what the body wants to do you know it's its secret purpose it's its highest purpose it's dreaming of doing that you know this body it's like everything in nature wants to transcend you know so and our body is no exception so for me it all comes back to the body so the art of contemplation is about that deep in process of embodiment um and how we enter into that wider field that quantum field yeah that's so in a way that's the core of the gene keys teachings that this this technique that begins with the art of pausing so it's a very simple thing it's very uh, you know the the deepest truths are the simplest
So that's really what I'm teaching now. I'm just saying, hey, guys, you know, pause more often. <laughs> it reminds me a little of the end of the movie. Um, I'm forgetting what it's called, but about that American traveler who goes up to Alaska. Um, Eddie Vedder did the soundtrack. I'm totally spacing on what it's called. Uh, but it was it was a kind of a big movie, maybe five, ten years ago. Um, Into the Wild, that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah, and it's like his epiphany at the very end, kind of like after he's eaten the wrong berries. He wasn't a Virgo, clearly. He was like, oh, shit, there's a vein on this. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's his dharma or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, the whole point is like, you know, there's very small uh, you know, like a firework makes a lot of noise and all this stuff, but the, like the moment of sonic boom is very simple in and of itself. Um, and, the, you know, everything emanating from that. So I do agree. It's fascinating reading about the cities because I do appreciate the element where you're saying to the effect where it's like, and this is fucked with my head a little, and I haven't really talked about this with Raphael, but I've talked about it with my fiance, where it's like everybody's coming in at a different angle of approach and some people it's not pearls to swine necessarily, but it's like some people are not going to be able to understand or digest food uh, that is for an individual. Like, so if you like your 64 city, you were saying like that might not at all be on the menu for somebody else. They might be coming to it from a very different angle of approach, but they all end up being kind of um, unified in a very kind of quantum metaphysical way or however I'm trying to say this. But it's funny because I think one of the maybe not shadows of the new age. It's hard to explain, but shadows of just being an intellectual human trying to pursue truth through time. Like what we've been doing with mystery schools and, you know, everything over time as humans. Um, it, it seems like, you know, someone might be able to fast for 40 days and that's like their way in. Whereas mm -hmm. if you get somebody else a 40 day fast, they might, you know, go crazy and die or whatever. Whereas the, all they had to do was just go be of service in the soup kitchen mm -hmm. and they were going to hit it, you know? So it's funny. There's a kind of a, um, ironic, I mean, maybe it's too strong a word, but like very humbling kind of approach where it's like, y'all ever there's 64 keys. I mean, not gene keys, but like keys into like fucking the pearly gates here. It's like, you can get there, but like, don't shove your key in someone's face and say, that's it. Because that might not be appropriate. Totally. And that, that was one of the things I realized when I'd written the Gene Keys book, is I realized this is a kind of code book for enlightenment. And, uh, you know, for, and because it would show you this is what your enlightenment looks like. Um, and but then you couldn't you can't recreate that in your mind, you know, like, oh, OK, I'm going to go and, you know, do it's like it, it, it's just a reflection. And your contemplation is what actually unlocks it but then you can look at the book and you can consider the city you can go well actually yeah i, I am actually manifesting that path um but not through but not because i read the book you know it just happens anyway but the book seems to be confirming it you know and that's what it's the I, finger pointing at the moon yeah. it's like it helps give that directionality to it yeah exactly so that's that's really what it's for and and i'll just finish by saying about the book that you know, the book and all the teachings, you know, they're all just an excuse. You know? And really, I saw this like early on. I saw that every, all the work I'm putting in, all the creativity and all the kind of building of systems and the online courses and virtual retreats and, you know, all, you know, all of that. It's only to draw in this one group of humans who have to find each other at this time through these teachings so it's like it's it's actually all just for bringing the people together so that they can fall in love so that they can recognize their soul family and and 
and stick around in the teaching. I think that's for me what, why the teaching have to be quite dense because it keeps you there a little longer. And as you stay longer, you kind of fall more in love, whether it's with yourself, whether it's with another, you know, you or with the teachings, you stick around longer, you know. And so it's a trick in that way. It's just a trick to bring us together. And it's the it's the coming together where the magic is, because when we come together in these groups, these group souls and we've done our shadow work or we're doing our shadow work and we're supporting each other in that, that group consciousness is far more powerful than any teaching on this planet. You know, it's extraordinary. And that's how we're going to awaken. You know, and I've, I know that I kind of seen this like we have to be in rooms or in spaces or in nature in specific groups together for decent amounts of time in silence. <laughs> and and that's when the when the cities will begin to touch down. You know, when the people have done that, when we've done our shadow work, we have done, and we found each other in the right choreography. And then we come together at specific times and specific places, and then something will come in. This higher quantum Siddic energy will be able to land because it, it, it's so powerful. It requires a collective to kind of generate it. And then it gets triggered in the individual. And that's why this is a collective awakening. It's deeply mysterious. And I, I love watching the movie because I'm just sitting here on my seat going, oh, wow, look, there's, an, there's another you know really interesting group coming together over there and um and it's just you know it's it's fun it's just it's you know we need that sense of kind of this is fun <laughs> you know one of alan watts he says we take serious what the gods made for fun i mean we are coming into or i mean i don't know about uh, you know ontological positions particularly but it's like it seems like we chose i mean Raphael's always telling me it's like we forgot to remember like this is just a weird kind of unearthing of treasure we buried ourselves, almost like a time capsule. Mm. So it's like it was the case before, and then we said if we're going to bury it real deep, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to have to have the right tools and timing and everything uh, to eventually unearth this. And when we do, we're going to laugh and yeah. curtain curtain call it and say that was dope. Thanks everyone for playing the game or whatever's going to happen. So I mean, I'm I'm kind of we can start winding it down here. I do want to have you back on and kind of geek out about specifics. Um, you know. At some point, I don't, you know, don't worry about it. it's not tomorrow or anything like that. But you're an awesome guest, a brilliant mind, and a very um, interesting soul. So that's, you know, you fit the bill for kind of what I want to, the kind of people I want to be talking to. It happens to be that you're a famous author or whatever. But uh, you know, it's like you're cool no matter what. Your team rabbit hole is fuck. So um, I guess two questions, and then we can kind of say our parting comments. We were just kind of saying a minute ago, we say it all the time. I heard it through Terrence McKenna, but he got it um, from Timothy Leary, who had a kind of an extensive quote at one point about uh, finding the others. We say that a lot on Team Rabbit Hole. It's like there's people in your soul tribe. I mean, and this doesn't get into like exclusive tribalism at that level. I think we're transcending it. But there's people in your organ group, like, you know, the facial area versus the stomach versus the fingers. Like there's there's people that are on a similar wave pattern to you and finding them and encourage like edifying each other through both you know it's almost like a marriage through the good times and the bad like you know not just abandoning people because the party's over or whatever like being there at hard points too it seems like that's the responsibility um 
that our species is being called into. So I do appreciate your kind of um, illustrating that. It sounds like a Virgo wet dream or something where it's like everyone sit in silence in groups and we're going to all be service for the whole and, you know, a descent from on high will happen and Shambhala or whatever. Um, but it's beautiful. And I do really appreciate you coming uh, on and doing the work. One quick question. Why isn't there an app for this? I feel like, oh, uh, yeah. is it in the works or something? Because yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like this should be more, widely accessible the reason astrology is so big is because there's free app you know websites to get your charts or whatever and yeah. I, I know that i got my chart free from jinkies.com i'm pretty sure it's still doing yeah. that but um it, like what's the logic there is it just like have you not felt that or are you working on that or and then no pressure I'm everybody saying... wants and just briefly richard because i've been also discussing this with friends for years already everyone actually wants this super integrated uh dating app i guess eventually you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. both yeah. including gene gene keys human design and all of those things but yeah <laughs> yeah i think you know we're um uh it's it, you know it's been growing organically you know my uh my purpose gene key is patience and um and so i've never rushed it and just allowed it to unfold in its perfect timing and it's just picking up speed really particularly this year and so we will have an app in, you know, by the middle of next year, by spring next year. Well, no um, pressure. I'm just wondering, because I was like, this seems like a fucking big thing. And I'm yeah, just surprised no, that. It is, but it's had to, you know, like if you're going to create, if, if you think about it, like if you're going to create, I mean, I don't do any of it. I'm not kind of planning this. It's just unraveling. And if you're going to have you're an jamming. app, you're going to suddenly <laughs> bring in thousands more people or millions more people you need to have your kind of basic foundation really solid and that's what we've been doing i've been building a really great team we've been building a good i mean you're going to meet elijah parker he's an awesome man you know he has a mind as sharp as mine if not more he's like a younger kind of hipper version of me <laughs> and you know it's like and he's he's been he's really been kind of the the powerhouse behind the technology and building it and and orchestrating that. And so, we so I guess I should direct this at him more. Yeah. And like Mark Bentley, I mean, I'm aware of some of the people that are doing stuff. Mark's going to come on the podcast, right. like your uh, kind of um, yeah ambassador stuff. Like it seems, and I, hey, mad props with the patience thing. I don't know your gene key chart, so it's like okay, that makes sense. Like you don't want uh, you know a. a an in utero two month old and fetus is not going to be running. Say, <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Just what you mentioned in gym and even here, um, because oftentimes people think about different projects and ideals and so on. And then I always say it comes down to the personnel, jokingly speaking, of course, but it comes down to the individuals and the psychology. And just like you said, the, the foundation must be proper. There is no point of having a great influx if then it's unstable unto itself. And if it if you don't have like a crystallization, and especially if you want to translate it to a new realm like digital in this way, there's even so many more factors uh, to think about. But it's amazing that this is actually on track. So awesome. And it's coming. And, and also uh, uh, not, not so much a dating app, but, um, you know, we, I, I have. The I bones. was halfway joking, but just because there's so much, you know, detail there and so many algorithms, even just with well, astrology, like programming if you add in all that human stuff. design and you add in gene keys. There are technically so many things one could calculate. Yeah. Doesn't mean this would really then tell you this or that, but it would just be cool because yeah. you could just try verifying the whole thing from a new perspective. Yeah, I have a, a, a chemistry app, a, a relationship chemistry app in the making. 
and uh, but it's sim it's simpler you know it's very it's going to be juicy but it, and very very revealing but it's going to be simple it's not going to be complex like human design it's going to be simple um but really um kind of fun as well and very very revealing because i don't i i, I don't want to kind of overwhelm i you know my my thing is not to get too complicated um i want to keep things relatively simple because gene keys is like this huge intricate field but actually it's the same truth repeated over and over and over again in in in, this, in slightly different ways iterations and and that's you know that's why it's poetry because it's it's repeating the same truth through different May lenses. I say potentially Richard you created the perfect trap for enlightenment <laughs> <laughs> it's it's exactly you're on to me Raphael <laughs> that's yeah. what's up well Richard I really do appreciate you giving us your time your um soul tribe for sure you're you know thank you so much for putting in the effort that you have i'm glad it was a pleasurable experience it sounds like your adventures led you to where it where it was almost necessary so good on you for you know hitting the iron wall it was there mm -hmm. um i guess if you have any kind of parting thoughts like i said i want to get you on a pick your brain and geek out a little more next time but i just want people to get to know who you are and kind of how you're approaching your your magnum opus or whatever and i do think there's a lot more to happen but like you know disney world disney started with a mouse it's like keep it yeah. simple um, so I really do appreciate, uh, what you've done. Any kind of parting thoughts? Um, what can I say? I've got one more book to write. <laughs> um, and so that's where I intend to spend my kind of older years. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot still, as you said, to unravel. And I just say, if anyone's listening to this and they kind of are interested, then come and come and join and check out our, our community our global family and get involved and you know bring your genius and you know that's 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 what we're doing we're merging genius and we're working towards a kind of an, an amazing future that's coming and at the same time being deeply aware that there's a huge amount of suffering on this planet and you know there's some of the most powerful tools in the gene keys are directly aimed at that suffering at, at, at making that suffering easier to handle um and um i'm particularly alluding to this teaching called the venus sequence which maybe we can talk about next time i'll drop that as a seed um because i'm doing a big retreat at the moment online retreat i don't know if either of you guys are on it um but a um, couple of thousand people um currently globally going through a big online retreat going th through the healing of the of the sacred wound as it kind of works through our dna and um so that's a really powerful program um that you can find and uh yeah i think that's that's the place i wanted to end in a way because that's the feminine and it's the the healing of the heart of the human heart and that's the really when you come down to it that's the essence of the, what the gene keys is here to do to open our hearts to help us open our hearts and keep them open um and that and then the rest just gets taken care of so yeah love is the answer well allow me to say i wholeheartedly agree i would like to thank you very very much for joining and jim thanks Raphael. and of course thank everyone for listening jim your final words for this episode you might have to unmute your mic.
Oh, my bad. Okay, so yeah, um, something we say a lot on here. Um, I got it from Reaper Cheap from Narnia, <laughs> uh, fellow Brit of yours. Um, but basically, further up and further in, this is a fractal. We get to enjoy the ride, and there's better and worse ways to do it. But you know, being compassionate to yourself and others, finding the others, trying to enjoy the mystery. No, you can't figure it all out, but there's like hacks. And I really do think Gene Keys is a major turning point in our understanding of how to be. And in these interesting times, um, this might find you in a place where it, it upgrades you. No promises. Check it out. And if it resonates, definitely go further up and further into it. Thank you again, Richard, for uh, giving us your time. Thanks, Jim. It's been great. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy yourselves. Radio Pocket.